Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I want you to get your Bibles and turn to the book of Job, the Old Testament book of Job. A lot of people have heard about Job. I want you to turn to chapter 23 and examine with me verses 8 through 10. And I want to preach today, God knows. This just goes so well with what they've just been singing. And that's why I want to partner with this ministry that just ministered so greatly to us and and them come back today. God knows. Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 10, I'll read it. And then I'll take us through the story of Job. And hopefully God can do a mighty work in many people's lives today. Job wrote these words or spoke these words in the midst of his trial. And I think you can identify with this. In verse 8, he says, Look, I go forward, but God is not there. I, I go backward, but I cannot perceive God. When God works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Anybody ever been there? But then this statement shows that there's always hope. It helps us to get the fuzzy picture back in view. Job's, after saying that desperate cry, says, but he knows. (laughs) He knows. Turn to somebody and say, he knows. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I'm not going to fall apart, disintegrate, lose everything. When he has tested me, I feel the Spirit of God right now. Not I might, not maybe, not perhaps, but he said, I shall come forth as gold. Come on, give God a praise this morning for the power of his word. Hallelujah. You can be seated today. I had an event happen to me at the beach, and I wondered if there was a way for me to work it into this sermon. And I think maybe I can. Thursday at Seabrook Island, I was out about waist deep in the ocean with a cast net trying to catch mullet that I could use as bait fish. I had been doing this for days without incident other than one time I stepped on a stingray and he went out from under my feet. White men can jump. (laughs) But on this particular day, Thursday, as I was casting my net into the sea, I turned around, and this has never happened to me before, but back on the shore at the edge of the water was a six-foot alligator that had decided to come out to the ocean and spend the day at the beach. I turned around, and you know you have these thoughts of, is is that, am I imagining? No, that's an alligator. And then you go into all kinds of thoughts and modes. There's an alligator. I'm in the water. 
this is his habitat. I'm in trouble. Oh, God. And I had my cast net. It's about a five-foot cast net. And I started paralleling this way down the surf while he was there trying to get away from him to where I could then walk up and get on shore to get away from him. And he started my direction and uh, there were other people on the beach and they were grabbing cameras and phones and they thought it was neat and they're going to go over there and take pictures. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here. And uh, I'd already made up my mind if he did come my way, he was going to get a cast net all over him and get tangled up and hopefully drown because they protect these critters and they're predators. And when I see them, I want to get my 9 millimeter and shoot them in the head because they kill things and eat them. But anyway, so here I was minding my own business, having a wonderful time at the beach, and then I turned around and there's a predator blocking my way and ruining everything and threatening my life. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I wanted to tell that story. The other thing is it really does work with my sermon because Job was minding his business, living for the Lord, having a good time. He had a big family. He was wealthy. He was prosperous. He served the Lord. He was righteous. Everything was going good. And he turned around, and there was an alligator. And it ruined everything. And he found himself trying to get out of a situation where he was threatened. And he lost all of his kids in one day. They were all killed tragically. And he lost all of his wealth in one day. Everything was gone. He lost his health. He had these infectious boils full of pus. And he's scraping them with broken pieces of pottery, trying to get the infection out to to get some relief. He loses everything. He goes from the heights of prosperity and success to the depths of poverty and destitution and For me, it was an alligator. For him, it was the devil. He didn't know this, but Satan was behind all of this. He got permission from God to afflict Job, and he was the cause of the suffering. And you might say, well, why would God allow the devil to do this to a righteous man, a child of God? And we get to read the story all the way to the end. We know it wasn't to destroy Job, but it was to test his faith and help him to be a better man. But when you're in the middle of something, you don't know why it can be frustrating. And I think that's the story, part of the story of Job, that he had no idea what was occurring in the spirit realm. He didn't know that God and the devil were having these conversations. And so all he could see was from an earthly point of view. And so consequently, he is continually throughout the book of Job asking these burning questions like, Why is this happening to me? And what have I done to deserve this? But I think the one burning question that we see in our text is, I've lived for the Lord, I've served the Lord, I've talked to the Lord, I pray to the Lord. We would say, I go to church, I give my tithes, I read my Bible, I pray, I try to do what's right. I don't, where is he? Where is God? Where is God? And that's what we read in the text. Job is basically saying, where is God? Job felt forsaken by the Lord. 
That's why he said in the midst of his ordeal, he looked for God to the front, to the behind, to the left, to the right, and he couldn't find him. And Job's not the only person in the Bible that felt this way. King David felt this way. David sinned with Bathsheba, so now he has sin in his life. He murdered her husband. He lied. So a guy that was always living for the Lord has now suddenly gone into sin. And, and, and so he just tries to cover it up. Well, well, fortunately for him, two things happened. One, he felt the conviction of God. Uh, and the second thing is God sent Nathan the prophet and, and confronted him and said, you are the man. But David, David will tell you that, that he lost the presence of God. He lost that feeling of the presence of God. He, in Psalm 22.1, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And, you know, and it may be very possible that this was just David, maybe David was going through another trial. You know, I, I may be misapplying this here. It could be that David was just going through a trial in life and said, this is when he was living right. God, why have you forsaken me? And, and I want to get back to the other thing about David in a minute. But David felt forsaken by the Lord. The other person in the Bible that felt this way was Jesus. And Jesus comes to this world as God, robes with flesh, so he's 100% God and 100% man. He was a man, but he was a God man. And he went and lived a sinless, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, was, was crucified, and while hanging on the cross, the sins of all of mankind were placed upon him. When you went to the temple and you were sacrificing a lamb for your sin, you were to lay your hand on the head of the lamb so that the sins on you were transferred to the lamb. The sins of all of humanity were transferred to Jesus and he bore our sins. But, the, the, but Paul said not only did he bear our sins, but he said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was a sin sacrifice, so he becomes the embodiment of all of the sins of humanity. And sin separates you from God. And so in that moment, the humanity of Christ felt the weight of the feeling of separation from God because of sin, just like we do when we sinned and you don't feel God anymore. And so he feels this, and he cries out, believe it or not, Psalm 22, 1, and says the very words that David said when he was going through a crisis, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he had the feeling of forsakenness. Now, I've preached this for years. It's sort of a pet peeve of mine. Let me just clarify for you, despite what other preachers preach or songwriters write and force us to sing, he was not forsaken. He just felt forsaken. And there is a big difference between being forsaken and feeling forsaken. And so even though in his humanity he felt forsaken, trust me, God the Father would never forsake God the Son. They can't because they're one. And you say, well, okay, but I, I've heard my preacher said one time and you know that I had and this, that, listen, just keep reading Psalm 22. And it's a messianic psalm. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are messianic psalms. So it's 22 is Jesus, the suffering servant. 23 is Jesus, the shepherd. And Psalm 24 is Jesus, the conquering king. 
They're all psalms about Jesus. And if you read Psalm 22 as it goes on, then the writer working through the process says, he has not forsaken me. He has not turned his back on me. But he's let me know he's with me. So you got to read. You can't just pluck one verse out. You got to take the whole thing. And, and, and so there was the feeling of forsakenness. David had the feeling of forsakenness. Job had the feeling of forsakenness. And, and I just want to ask you this morning, in the midst of maybe the trial you're in now, have you ever felt as if God was nowhere to be found? I have. Okay, so the pastor's raising his hand. Where you feel nothing, where there are no goosebumps, no tingle touches, no, no manifested presence of God, no joy, no peace, no awareness of God in your situation. I put in my notes, it's a terrible feeling to feel nothing. And if you're used to feeling, and this is part of the dynamic of being Pentecostal and spirit-filled, we're used to feeling God. Now, I have churches that don't have that manifestation and they, and they walk by faith. Well, we all walk by faith. I'll get to that in a minute. But, but there is a dynamic of the spirit-filled life where you experience the manifested presence of God. Times of refreshing come from the Lord. If happily you feel for him, you'll find him, for he's not far from every one of us. I could keep going on where you can, you can experience his presence. You know that he's there. And, you can, and when that leaves, it is the worst thing in the world. And why would a child of God feel like God has suddenly left them alone? I, I have two reasons. There could be more. And I've already touched on them a little bit, but let me delve into them further. It's clear that sin will cause the feeling of separation from God because sin does separate you from God. So if you get sin in your life and, and you don't repent of it or you get into the practice of sin or a lifestyle of sin, don't be shocked if you don't feel God anymore because that's part of your package deal. If you're going to forsake him, then he's going to forsake you. So when you don't feel his presence, it's not a false feeling of forsakenness. It's real. And I put in my notes, the only thing you're going to feel from God is conviction. Again, that's what David felt was nothing but conviction when he sinned. And do you know losing the manifested presence of God terrified him? Because he wrote a psalm, and I think it's Psalm 51, where he said, do not withhold your spirit from me. Do not. I have got to be able to feel your presence I, if I don't feel your presence, then I'm going to be miserable. And David knew that, that if, you, if, you're, if you have sin in your life, then, then it's, going to, it's going to make you forfeit experiencing God and his wonder and his glory in your life. And, and I just want to say today, there is no sin that is worth sacrificing the presence and the power of God in your life. No sin. There's no person. There's no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no fiance. There's no person worth sacrificing. There's not enough money. There's nothing that is worth sacrificing the presence and the power of God. No, not, nothing has a greater value. Nothing can be elevated above Him. If you do that, you have created an idol. You are worshiping another God. 
And if you're backslidden and you're feeling dead spiritually, then, then, I, have a, then, I, have a, then I have a challenge for you today is confess your sin and repent of your sin and God will forgive you and cleanse you. And yes, he will make himself real to you again. And you will feel his presence again. And as the sin goes out, the spirit of God will come back in. That sin, sin will do it. Now, you say, why are you talking about that? Well, just because I felt like we needed to talk about it. Because there might be somebody here today or watching online that you've, you're playing with sin, you're toying with sin, you've, you've started practicing this sin and, and you're beginning to experience these things. You need to know that's what's happening. There's a price to pay and it's not worth it. But that's not the common reason why a child of God would feel that feeling of forsakenness. That's not the common reason. Now, if you sin, it's gonna happen, but that's not the reason. I, I think the more common reason we fail to feel God in our trial is that, like Job, God is testing our faith. The Bible says, very fundamental passage, very fundamental concept in the Bible that everybody has to gain, the just shall live by faith. Say it with me, the faith, faith. The just shall live by faith. Our lifestyle is a lifestyle of trusting God, depending on God, leaning on God. Sometimes, however, we are all guilty of walking by our feelings and living by our feelings. And so we'll serve God if we feel saved. We'll do the right thing because it makes us feel good. And so we're living by feelings. And if we come to church and we feel something, then we say, boy, I'm really spiritual. Conversely, if we come to church and we feel nothing, then we may question our spirituality and say, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me spiritually. But you will face times in your life when you feel nothing spiritually. And you're going to be tempted to question your faith and to question God. And I just want to come here today to teach you and to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Spiritual maturity dictates that when you're in that time that you don't feel anything, you just keep on walking. You just keep on serving him. You just keep living for him. You keep, you keep walking with God, trusting him regardless of your feelings and you live by what you know, which is the word of God. And this is why you have to read the Bible and listen to me when I'm preaching and Pastor T and anybody else. And this is why you have to pay attention and listen to what thus says the Lord because that's what gets you through the times when you don't feel anything. As you say, but I may not feel anything, but I know the facts. And the facts are, I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. I know that I've been trying to serve the Lord. I know the times I've failed, but I've also repented. And if I still don't feel anything right now, that doesn't change the fact that he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So you have to walk in the facts. Job 13, 15, Job said, though God himself slay me, yet 
will I trust him. That's real faith. When you feel nothing, you press on. When you feel nothing, you hold on. When you feel nothing, you fight on. When you feel nothing, you hang on. When you feel nothing, you keep on keeping on. Because you walk by faith, not by sight or any of your other senses. So Job came to the realization some point, it was toward the end, he had to work, and scholars think that Job's suffering may have just lasted two or three months. But somewhere towards the end, Job came to that realization that God was still with him and that God was aware of his circumstances. And even though he said there was a time there in this suffering that I looked for him and I couldn't find him in front of me, behind me, to the left, to the right, I came to that realization, that understanding that whether or not I feel for him, he's still there. And that's why he said in verse 10, God knows, I'm just going to let the word speak to us. God knows the way that I take. How many of you are really, really excited and happy that God knows the way that you take? He knows the way you take. How many of you are glad that in your difficult times, it doesn't matter what you feel, God is there? Come on, give him praise this morning. God is there. Jeho- I can't do all this Hebrew. Jehovah Yireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. The Lord who is my banner of victory. The Lord who is my healer. The Lord who is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? But let me give you one you probably don't know that's in the Bible. It's Jehovah Shammah. Preachers don't use this one. They usually skip over it. Jehovah Shammah. And it simply means the Lord who is there. Always. That's who he is. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit of God just pressing that point home. That's who he is. Those names tell us not not just what he does, who he is. I mean, that's, that's his nature. He can, Elder, he can never be the God who is not there. I may not feel like he's there, but he's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. I, I, I may feel like I'm in the fire and, and I'm burning all alone, but it's not true because he's the fourth man in the fire, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. I may feel like I'm in the lion's den and everybody's forgot about me, but nobody's forgot about me. God is, Jehovah Shammah is there. The Lord is there. Mm. (laughs) If the devil is telling you that God has forsaken you right now, tell him he's a liar. Stand on God's truth. Uh, Leah's working the nursery today, but but when we were young, Leah used to sing a song, Psalm 139, You Are There. We, we all called it at college, we called it Leah's song. 
It was Leah's song. And it was Psalm 139, and, and, and David wrote it. And he said, if I ride the wings of the morning to the ocean, to the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. He said, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Where, whither can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question, y'all. The answer is nowhere. Because God is everywhere. Because he's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. Come on, somebody give him praise this morning. I can't preach much better than that. But not only is the God who is there and knows where you are, he knows what you're facing. And that's what Job said. Job said, all right, he not only knows where I'm at, but he knows what I'm going through. I, I kind of doubted it for a while. Wasn't quite sure. I mean, I was be honest. I really thought God had left me. I really thought God just turned his back on me. I really thought that God had just was ignoring me. But I'm realizing that never was true. That was never the case. He knows what I'm going through. So let me just preach to you today. He knows who you are. Somebody needs to hear that. He knows where you are. He knows your struggle. He knows your limits. He knows your doubts. He's aware of your frustrations. He's heard your questions. He knows how much you can bear. He knows when your crisis will end, and he knows when the battle will be over. Because what you got to remember is the battle will be over. You may not feel him, but he's there, and he's working, and the battle will be over. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the morning will come for you, brothers and sisters. Hold on. Hallelujah. God knows the sun is about to burst over the edge of your horizon and a new day is about to dawn. You've just got to hold on. When your spouse doesn't know, God knows. When your pastor doesn't know, God knows. When your employer doesn't know, God knows. When, when, when your next door neighbor doesn't know, God knows. He knows, he cares, and he's going to see you through. Just keep on keeping on. Job had the hope that his trial would come to an end and then he would be better because of it. And he was. How many of you are in school? Middle school, high school, college. Let me see your hand. There's your hands. All the students. Okay, right, put your hands. How many just you're taking online classes, whatever? But you're in, you're in school. Okay, the rest of us are not in school. But I think we all remember when we had to take tests. Everybody hates tests. Nobody likes taking a test. Why did it have to be a number two pencil? What did number one do that was so bad? I always wondered. Tyler, you never wondered what, what did number one do? I mean, it's got to bring a number two pencil, fill in the blank, multiple choice. Oh, the horrible essay questions. <laughs> Just take the test. Why did you have to take the test? 
Because the teacher needed to determine if you knew what you're supposed to know in a particular area of study. The test answers basic questions. On what level are you? Where are you lacking? Where do you need improvement? What do you still need to understand? Do you know we go through tests in life and God permits them to find, help us find out where we are at what level spiritually and where we're doing really good but where we need some improvement. And you ever notice where you're really doing good, you ace life's tests. But the ones I fail are those areas in my character and in my nature where I'm still working on me. Like when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Or somebody called me a really, really bad name down there at the beach. Some of those probably stinking, filthy, rich people from Kiowa Island. I know there's a whole story there, but I'm not telling it. You have to be tested. And God doesn't give you a sheet of paper and a number two pencil and say, here, let's test you and see how you're doing. No, he lets the devil show up. He lets a puppet of the devil push your buttons. Come on, y'all holier than me. I'm sorry. I'm the only one in this house. I'm the only one. Y'all, why don't y'all just go on to heaven right now? Because y'all, y'all already there. Huh? Come on. Yeah, I know. I know y'all do. Don't act so holy. Everybody in this house has a weak link. Everybody in this house has something. You got a trigger point. Some proclivity, so some propensity, and the devil knows right what it is. Nobody likes the test, and I fail the test sometimes, but I learn. Some of us are more difficult learners than others because we keep doing the same stupid thing again and again. I'm preaching where we live. But the but as we go through the test, the test, not only the trials, not only do an examination of where we are, but they also contain lessons and character-forming dynamics that if we'll allow them, will be transformative in nature that will come out of it like gold. That the dross, the elements that we don't need that, are, that are, have no value will be burned out and will come out a little kinder, a little more patient, a little, a little more gentle. And a man, one of our leaders in the church, I'm going to tell on him, he got me tickled, and yet he was serious, so I was 100% behind him. A year or two ago, he, we were coming into the new year. He said, I'm trying to be a kinder, gentler, and he said his name. I said, okay. He said, I'm trying. I'm thinking I need to be a kinder, gentler Chris too sometimes. I'm just afraid one of these days one of you are going to cut me off in traffic and then uh, I, you're going to see a side to me. Just pray Leah's in the car with me. I always have to, do, I have to behave when she's in the car. 
Aren't you glad you have a preacher that preaches where we live? Might as well be real. Might as well be real. Might as well, okay? But God will use what you're going through to make you better. Did you ever have a time test? Walk in, number two pencil. Hands out the sheets. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. You have 45 minutes to complete this test. You will begin when I say go. When I say put down your pencils, you'll put down your pencils and your time is up. Go. And you open that. You started. And you're getting it and you're working and you look at your you can't look at your phone. They won't let you use your phone, but you brought a watch that day, and you look at your, oh, God. You look up at the clock. Oh, God, I got 20 minutes. And you look, I got five minutes. You're only a quarter of the way through the test. You're in trouble. <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're about, you're about seven-eighths through it. You're trying to get, you got six more. Teacher says, you have one minute. You're trying to get it. Time's up. Put your pencils down. I had three more to go. Some of you said I had 30 more to go. <laughs> Time's up. You put. The, you know why I told you that? We all can identify with that because we've all had time tests. I got something worth shouting about. God lets you go through tests to try your character and the, he lets maybe give the devil permission to work you over and you're uncomfortable and you're not happy and you can't figure out and it's lasting a day, a two, a week, three, four, maybe a few months. But I got news for you. These tests don't last forever. They're time tests. And there'll come a point where God will say, time's up. Put your pencil down. And the test will be over. Come on, musicians. Your trial will ultimately benefit you. You can't see that now because you have tunnel vision. James 1, 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Why? Why do I have to go through the trial so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? God has a way of taking the bad and using it for your good. God has a way of taking the negative and turning it into a positive. Somehow in the end, you'll be more like Jesus. Somehow at the end of the trial, you're more a mature man and woman of God. You're wiser, you're stronger, you're more patient patient you're possessing more endurance now listen to me I want to close on this and it's a little bit more of a teaching way to end but I just I feel so good about what I'm about to finish with if you know the story of Job he got through it he learned his lesson and God restored everything that he lost dual twice as much okay so he got twice as much cattle and twice as many camels and twice as much everything. And God gave him children. He was able to have children. 
And so God gave him children. He had beautiful daughters, and, and it was just, God blessed him. If you are not careful, see, we love that point part of the story. Let's all be honest. We love that part of the story. Oh, he got his money back. Oh, he got twice as much money back. God blessed him. Oh, he got his kids back. Oh, God bless. That is so carnal. Am I right? I mean, it, it is. Thank God he got all that back. God made him twice as wealthy as he was before. He got more kids. Wasn't the same kids, but he got more kids. Praise the Lord. But if you just focus on that, then you're missing the point. And we want God to bring us out of the trial and bless us some more so huh, the suffering's finally over and we never learn our lesson. So you gotta understand that Job got all the blessing, but he also learned his lesson. Y'all with me? You wanna learn the lesson. Job had a personal encounter with God in the final chapter. And the God that he thought had deserted him showed up at just the right moment. And there are four things they're gonna show on the screen right now. And then we're gonna come to this altar. Job learned these four lessons. And this is gonna resonate with a lot of you. Maybe not all four of them, but one or two or three, maybe all four is gonna resonate with people in this church today because I know they resonated with me. Number one, Job said, God, you were always in control and I never should have doubted you. So I'm just telling you today, the next time you go through a trial, instead of fretting over it, say to yourself the greatest words in the world, God is in control. When I was at Praise Cathedral, if there was ever a theme of a church and Bobby Johnson poured it into the body and the body understood this and that's a large church it was that God is in control you can get through anything in life are you hearing the man of God you can get through anything in life when you just say and know God is in control don't doubt him number, lesson number two I wanted to know why I was suffering God, but I realized sometimes the why is none of my business. And I don't know that Job ever found out. But brothers and sisters, you don't need to know the why. Sometimes you will learn it, and sometimes you won't. And if you get too fixated on the why, it'll do more harm than good. Sometimes it's better to just say, God, I don't need to know why. You were in control. That's enough. Lesson number three, Job said, I said some things I had no business saying. And he did. Read the book of Job. Job said, God, I thought I knew what I was talking about and I was wrong. And next time I'll choose my words carefully. Brothers and sisters, if you're in a terrible, difficult time right now, be careful because you might say some things that later you'll regret. Choose your words carefully, especially when you're talking to God or about God. Lesson number four, I'm sorry for not trusting you. I'm sorry for thinking I was too good, God, to go through a trial. I don't like that about myself, 
and I'm humbled by it. Repent if necessary. Don't raise your hand. Does anybody in here think you're too good to go through a trial? I've heard people say, I don't know why my mama's going through this. She's such a godly woman. That's why she's going through it because she is a godly woman. My daddy didn't deserve this. It's not, nobody said your daddy deserved this. It rains on the just and the unjust. We all go through things. Bad things happen to good people. It has nothing about deserving. It has to do with life and fighting the devil and living in a sinful world. And sometimes God testing us. So sometimes we think we know what's going on. And brothers and sisters, we are clueless. And when that happens, best thing you can do when it's all said and done is go crawl in an altar somewhere and say, oh God, I said things and did things and thought things. I had no, I was a stupid Lord. I was stupid. I've told God I was stupid. Forgive me, please forgive me. Is this good? Does this help you? Stand to your feet all over this church. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.